Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us. Hi, I'm Jeremy Grafe, and I'm one of the leaders at Ember Faith Community. Hi, I'm Allison Spooner, and I'm the pastor at Faith Emmanuel and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace, and I'm a PhD candidate at Drew University. For this season of the Ember Podcast, we're talking about the book of Revelation. Whether you're a Christian or not, we hope you'll join us in exploring how the apocalyptic poetry in the book of Revelation challenges power structures, helps us to look at the way we use power, and invites us to resist oppression. This is especially relevant for Christians who are called to witness to God's grace, but we hope the Ember Podcast can help spark meaningful conversations for people who have other beliefs as well. Thanks for tuning in. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, come and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations, and they will trample over the holy city for forty-two months. And I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for one thousand two hundred sixty days wearing sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. Anyone who wants to harm them must be killed in this manner. They have authority to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, and they have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street. Welcome to the podcast. This week we are in Revelation chapter 11. And what we really noticed this week, and hopefully you will too, is the sense of already but not yet in the completion of God's will and work in this kind of apocalyptic poetry. So a couple of things that you might notice is um, we have yet again a hymn in the midst of woe. And also a question of, to what are we meant to witness to? Yeah, this this chapter is striking, especially coming right off of chapter 10, which is hinting that things that are going to make your stomach feel bitter uh, are about to happen. But really the stuff going on there is kind of cool and poetic. Then you move into chapter 11 and it gets real very quickly uh, people are dying it's talking about water turning into blood and it's ugly it is we have hit a real point of sorrow and and woe in chapter 11 so it's so jarring that the hymn then comes up in the middle of that yeah and it's i think it's really telling as well that um Partly what we were talking about in terms of the bitterness is, you know, what it means to be a prophet. And here we have prophets that are not only given 
a word to speak to testify to like God's will and God's work, but they're actually given some pretty destructive powers. And that they're going to get devoured by the beast <laughs> when they're done their prophesying and they're done their testimony. And not only that, their bodies are going to lie in the streets of the city. Um, that's an ugly image. Yeah. It's a painful image. I mean, I don't think any of us kind of can see the images that are floating around the world today of the aftermath of bombings and kind of chemical, those chemical attacks in Syria and not feel like a visceral physical reaction to just the images. So to encounter this in our text, like it's no small thing. It's not, it's not something to be kind of glanced over. And I think it, it matters that kind of the text slows down long enough to tell us that and to describe what they, what, you know, it's kind of being seen and what's happening around them. I think another, to go along with your point, um, it it's easy and it has been done in the past to look at those who are killed in this passage as the other, as those who are kind of outside. Um, but I think that's a misreading. Um, I think the text is calling us to really feel for those who are, you know, killed or who, whose lives are taken up because of all of the things that are going on and and because of those who are destroying the earth, um, as the hymn says at the end, uh, it's a mourning for them as well as a look towards, you know, a, a better future. Yeah. Um, well, it just says 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. It doesn't say 7,000 unrighteous people or righteous right. people. It just has people. So, yeah, we're not really being told specifically. And I think that's an important point. I think a lot of times when we read Revelation, at least pop culture wants to go, okay, well, here's the righteous people and here's the unrighteous people and here's how you can tell the difference. And I think that's a, a very sinful way to read this passage because it gives you license to not just say, oh, well, that's not me, but to actually otherize and distance yourself from other people. And there's something up with humanity and being chosen or not in here that isn't for us to know. And I think it's a really slippery slope and a really dangerous road to go down to try to say in any way, pop culture or otherwise, well, this is what the righteous people are and look like and do. And this is what the unrighteous people are and look like and do. Um, that's kind of, in my opinion, the domain of God and God's salvific activity is up to God. It's not for us to know or to do the best that we can do is respond to the knowledge that God is a God of grace. And I think, I think that's what, you know, that hymn is kind of getting at in a way. And it feels very jarring and twisted kind of to say 7,000 people died. The second woe has passed and the third one's coming. Okay, let's praise God now. Um, but there's something up in there. Like that does something to you as a reader in, in a, in a violent way and in kind of a, providential way yeah. can you say more about uh the providential piece well, i think like in the midst i think it's easy to praise god in the midst of joy and in the midst of things going well um and it's a lot harder to kind of lean into trusting god when things are falling apart around you and i mean we've said this before a few times but like 
spoiler alert, the ending is New Jerusalem, New Heaven and New Earth, and there's kind of nothing more beautiful than that. So, you know, we kind of know, we have this hope of what the end is going to be, so we can kind of read this with a measure of distance. But I think in that moment, it's there's more going on than just pain. Yeah, so it's trusting in in that idea that there's there is more to come that there is a hope for the future well and you had pointed out something interesting earlier too when we were chatting about this like there's something unstable about the tenses here yeah which kind of lends itself to that already and not yet that we were talking about yeah the um the hymn starts out with the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his messiah and he will reign forever and ever, which seems a little out of place, as we, as you pointed out, we're in between woe two and woe three. Uh, we're not at the new heaven, new earth, yet, um, and yet the hymn is stating it as though it's already a present reality, and so holding that together of um, the uh, the act of Christ being a present reality and also a hope. In a, in a better way of being for humanity and creation. It's, uh, that comes through for me in this chapter more than anything we've read so far in Revelation. Well, we've, we've noticed over the course of the last few weeks and through studying Revelation that one of the regular, regularly occurring features or patterns is there will be great cataclysm, but within that there are, there are little promises and hints of like the promise to come. So these prophets are given all this authority and all this power and then they're kind of killed in an undignified way and left to kind of dishonorably lie dead in the street but then we're also given the reassurance that they're being brought back to life and like there's some kind of a restoration that happens within that and although that causes terror to the people around them I think that's still showing that like within the cataclysm they're still there's still something of God's providence being enacted, not just worshipped and noticed. I think that's true, too. And the way this chapter kind of ends with the, you see the Ark of the Covenant open in the temple. I mean, that's a really, like, big holy moment that if you've been following the story along kind of the way the canon lays it out, like, that's no small thing. Like, how many times have historically the temple been destroyed how many times have god's people been sent to exile how many times has the ark been displaced like there's a lot of ways in which this is a people who have been through some shit and now we have this high moment of the ark is open in the temple of the lord and people are singing yeah it's interesting how that image of the ark uh uh, it's meaningful within the context of the canon, but that seeps into human Western culture, at least. Uh, anyway, I'm thinking of, of Indiana Jones. I I'm laughing at myself for doing this, but genuinely, when the Ark gets opened in that in that movie, it's bad. People's faces are melting. It's terrible. So then contrasted with, you know, when things are made right, when things are, are renewed. Uh, people are singing in response to that. That's pretty powerful. Well, since you've opened up that particular line of <laughs> symbology, um, I, I think talking about the symbolism in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when the Ark opens, Indiana Jones is a relatively righteous man, although he might not present himself that way. And I don't know that Marion would have that kind of self-understanding either. But who are the ones that are 
destroyed by the ark it's the unrighteous it's belloc it's the nazis it's it's something that's a stand-in for what is vile and evil in humanity mm. and i mean really that's that's exactly what's happening in revelation all that is all that is impure all that is evil is kind of like being burned away from the world and then god recreates it and there's this echo of you know god's wrath destroying what is what's unrighteous and then kind of like remaking everything in a way that's holy and right and i think in terms of theodicy or thinking about suffering and evil in the world like isn't that the great hope of kind of the arc of history that in the end we trust and we know in the hope that god is gonna win <laughs> to put it kind of lightly yeah yeah i think that it's and going back to then him we had, we had talked earlier too about um those who destroy the earth and all the ecological concerns that are a very real thing for us right now um the idea that despite all the damage that humanity has done to one another and to our world um over thousands of years that that can still be made right that's that's a huge hope and that in that is a measure of responsibility that in this already and not yet like knowing that things will be made new and responding to the grace that's been given to us part of that is actually taking to heart that kind of charge that we're given in genesis to have dominion over which we talked about a little bit before but having dominion over in the sense that we are caretakers of and cultivators of and protectors of not in the sense that this isn't something to be exploited i mean to witness the reality rather than just take it for granted yeah well and and there is kind of like the recurring echo about you know the thing that we're being called to as like people of god is is to witness and to endure to the end and you know i think revelation 11 really shows beautifully two things like we're to witness to god's great provision and grace but we're also meant to witness to like what's destructive and what's evil and i think in so many ways witnessing is not a passive act as much as we might have made it sound that way in 21st century culture. So for this week, we'd like to invite you to imagine things a little bit differently. If you find yourself in the midst of, of tragedy or if you find yourself wondering where God is in all of this as you see some of the very heart-rending news coming out of um, Syria, uh, as we're recording this, we're recording a few days after um, some serious chemical weapon attacks as well as um, a major uh, missile strike from the U.S. on to Syria. As you're witnessing the aftermath of these things, how is God in that? And maybe recognize that even amid the tragedy that people are still coming to each other's aid and they're still being afforded this moment where they can be extremely compassionate in a time of great disarray and chaos and recognize God's healing hand even in that and that our actions of caring in those tragedies represents a very specific and needed kind of witness. As we work through this text we want to make sure that we are also in conversation with you our listeners. So we invite you to reach out to us with questions, comments, 
and we'll be addressing these as we go on in subsequent podcasts. You can send your questions to emberfaithcommunity at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Grafe, Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved, 2017.